Blog Talk Radio. Um, I'm Jeff McConnell, as always, uh, the host, the creator, the innovator behind the Damage Report. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening. It's uh, Sunday. Uh, this is the uh, fourth episode in 10 days. You know, I, I got my motivation back. Uh, I want to thank the listeners. Uh, people uh, support me on, on social media for kind of lighting a fire underneath me there. Uh, lost my motivation, you know, uh, just wasn't feeling it, got a little depressed, got a little angry about some things, uh, took some time off. We had two months off uh, without an episode, um, but I am back uh, with the help of some uh, amazing people like Stephen Reichel from uh, Cade Side Submissions and others who helped me do what I do so that I can make these episodes better for you, the listener of the Damage Report. Before I get involved uh, with the Fight Night Recap, I want to give a a quick shout-out and thank you. Uh, First off, Eddie the Dude Dowd of MMABarn.org. Please go to shop.mmabarn.org for your shopping needs. He's got amazing uh, products at quality prices. And if you enter the code DAMAGE, that's D-A-M-M-A-G-E, you will get free shipping. So remember that, shop.mmabarn.org. Enter the promo code DAMAGE. Also to Brian Vello of Vello's Vinyl Lettering. He's amazing. He's the guy who uh, took the uh, the logo that Chris from Chris's Unique Designs uh, did for the Damage Report, and he turned that into a vinyl sticker that I have on my laptop. If you ever see the videos that I do on my YouTube channel, um, there's a tremendous difference from whenever I had that generic uh, note paper on there with some marker to whenever uh, Brian Bello created that excellent representation of the Damage Report logo on my laptop. So go to Bellows Vinyl. That's B-E-L-L-O-S-B-I-N-Y-L.com for your vinyl sticker needs. He does car wraps. He does promotional items. Uh, you can see the list of services that he does there. He is a genius, an artist, and he could help you with your needs on that. I also want to give a shout-out to Bert Watson, um, amazing guy. You may have remembered him from whenever he was the event coordinator for the UFC. Uh, he's no longer with them, but I want to give a shout-out to Bert. You know, I, I've always been uh, a fan of his. He's, he's an amazing guy. He's an inspiration, and if you go to Bert Watson, the number four, real.com, you can uh, help support Bert. You know, he's doing some things. He's most recently at a Cage Fury Fighting Championships event. But uh, go there, shop, and get his Babysitter to the Stars shirt. 
Um, it was nice to have he signed one for me, and uh, it's amazing. So always show some love to Burt Watson, the babysitter to the stars. <clears throat> also want to thank Stephen Reichel real quick. Like I said, you know, he helped me out on short notice on Friday whenever I had Rob Hawk from Pike Valley Movie. And if you missed that episode, what the heck's wrong with you? It was amazing. It was awesome. Uh, but you can check out in our library there for uh, the Damage Reports blog talk radio page, or if you're watching this or listening to this on Stitcher Radio or TuneIn Radio or GFL or iTunes, wherever, look for it in the library and check out episode 28 of the Damage Report live radio to get more info about Fight Valley the movie. I'll get into that a little bit after the UFC 188 wrap-up. But um, definitely support fightvalley.com going to be an amazing movie that's going to be filled in August in Philadelphia and New Jersey area. So definitely want to give a shout out to Rob, everyone involved with Fight Valley Movie. Okay, so um, before I get to UFC 188, I just wanted to give a, a quick mention of CES MMA that was on Friday on Access TV uh, that was going on up in Rhode Island. There was a, a local fighter from the Pittsburgh area, comma, the Death Star Worthy. Um, unfortunately, he did not win his fight against Matt Bassett. Matt was a very tough competitor. Probably had him out-experienced as far in terms of uh, number of fights, quality of fights, because Matt had been on Bellator a few times. Uh, Matt was a very tough competitor, but that first round was even. Um, Kama almost ended the fight within the first 45 seconds. He clipped him with a very crisp uh, strike that had the set on the mat. Um, didn't get to capitalize on that. And then uh, eventually the set picked him up and slammed him to the ground and had him on the mat for some ground and pound for a little bit. Uh, Kama was, kept his composure, didn't get rattled, uh, managed to get out of it, got to his feet. Um, and like I said, it was pretty much even in that first round probably went to Bissett based on the takedown and the ground to pound, but shortly into the second round, uh, Bissett's power, especially the power from that right hand, won out over the crisp striking and kicking of Kama the Death Star Worthy, and um, it ended with a stoppage. Um, TKO or KO, I'm not sure exactly how CES. I believe it was KO, uh, but taking nothing away from Kama Worthy, he was very impressive, uh, even though he lost. Uh, remember that name? You probably will be seeing him soon uh, in other promotions, such as Bellator, possibly even the UFC, because I feel he will rebound from this and he will get better. There's uh, players out there from Fight Club Pittsburgh, like uh, Worthy and uh, Mark Cherico, um, Greg Rudolph. There's, there's tons of them out there from the Pittsburgh area that are amazing, incredible. And just like Chris Dempsey, who was signed to the UFC because of a uh, the, the quality of MMA fighting you get from the Pittsburgh area, you could expect to hear names like Mark Cherko, Kama Worthy, Dominic Mazzotta coming from the Pittsburgh area real soon as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now let's uh, get to the main reason we're doing this fight night recap. It was UFC 188 that went down in Mexico City last night. Um, pretty solid fight card. There were some, some fights that, um, you know, one or two of them were being called boring on social media. Uh, the co-main event was, uh, I don't want to say it's controversial because uh, I picked it exactly the way it happened, um, but some people didn't agree with what the judges 
decided on that one. But um, the main one is the main event, and I'll get to that in a little bit because uh, I got some soapboxing to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna pat myself on the back, and, and I'm gonna to get into what I call the people that I'm calling the bandwagoners. No room on the bandwagon, door shut, missed your chance. But start off with the fight pass prelims. Uh, we had Gabriel Benitez defeating Clay Collard by unanimous decision. And then the other fight pass prelim was the one that I was uh, most uh, interested in, was uh, Irish fighter Cathal Pendred defeated Agostino Montano by unanimous decision as well. Um, you know, kind of sad that uh, Cathal didn't get on the televised prelims. You know, I think he's an exciting fighter. Uh, I mentioned uh, earlier... In either on the David's report on Friday or on uh, Stevens cage side submissions on Thursday, that I don't understand why someone posted an article, one of the news media websites like MMA Junkie or MMAFighting.com, whatever, MMA Mania, one of them, uh, where it says, why does everybody hate Paul Pendred? Because I don't. I like him, and not just because he's Irish. I mean, I think he's exciting. You know, I enjoyed watching him when he was on The Ultimate Fighter. But um, hopefully... That'll get him back onto the televised prelim portion of the card, or maybe even a main card uh, fight for his next fight, because he did win by unanimous decision. On to the FX prelim card. Uh, it was on FX because, of course, this is soccer season, and the World Cup for the women's, and uh, also there was some other men's soccer that was going on that dominated both Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2, uh, well into the morning hours. I believe it was like 2.30 before Fox Sports Live actually came on uh, with other sports news and was able to give you some MMA updates. But the prelims were on FX this time. And, excuse me, started off with a lightweight battle between Johnny Case and Francisco Trevino. And Johnny Case won that by unanimous decision. Next fight was uh, Patrick Williams. He defeated Alejandro Perez, Perez, sorry, by technical submission. It was a standing guillotine choke, and this one was like it was like a holy crap moment there because it was only 23 seconds into the first round, and it was a brutal standing guillotine choke. I mean, Williams just slapped it on there. He, he managed to. He found the opening. He got it in there, and he did not let. Go. It was almost like an anaconda tying, you know, wrapping around his uh, prey. But uh, yeah, Patrick Williams with an amazing, uh, they call it a technical submission. Um, then we had lightweight battle between Efrain Escudero and uh, Drew Dover. Drew Dover, as uh, Stephen and I were talking about on Cage Side Submissions, he's a very tough opponent. And uh, but we had both picked Efrain Escudero uh, as as I remember from Thursday's uh, event. And it was um, Efrain Escudero winning by a uh, standing guillotine choke also. Uh, it was a submission. This one was 54 seconds into the first round. Um, Efrain Escudero defeating Drew Dover. It was good to see Hecho uh, in Mexico. You know, my, my Spanish isn't, I don't have a very good Spanish accent because I took French in high school. But Efrain Hecho in Mexico Escudero wins by submission in the first round. It was good to see him get a win, good to see him get back on uh, a winning ways uh, in front of a Mexican crowd. Uh, you know, that was a very good one. Then the last preliminary on the FX 
fight card was Henry Cejudo defeating Chico Camus. And I, I railed against this one. Uh, Cejudo was a huge favorite. Uh, they had him, the odds makers in Vegas had him listed as a 12-to-1 favorite over Chico Camus. And that's just ridiculous, I said. You know, it was just crazy because Camus is a tough fighter. He trained out of, uh, you know, Duke Rufus's, uh Rufus Sport there in Milwaukee. Very tough uh, guy, very game competitor, no slouch by any means whatsoever. And uh, I felt it was kind of ridiculous that the odds makers gave him a 12 to 1 underdog uh, rating on this fight, you know. And, and I said, I, I was, I didn't mean to be funny by this, but there, there, you've probably seen this video going around the internet of uh, what they call the soccer mom. Uh, her name is uh, Katie Castro, and she was someone who, it was her second fight overall. She had one amateur fight in which she got obliterated, got knocked out in, um, I believe it was 10 seconds, brutally knocked out. And somehow people felt it was okay enough for her to let her go pro. And Katie goes into this fight against a, maybe not a UFC quality fighter, but someone who had some solid training in mixed martial arts, who had been training regularly, who had been a gym, as opposed to Katie, who they said was an quote-unquote independent fighter. Uh, I guess that's code for doesn't train in a regular gym and probably thought it was fun to try out. But uh, Katie got knocked out in uh, less than 30 seconds, and that last one was strike on her was unnecessary. She was on her knees. She was about ready to fall face forward. And whoever her opponent was just teed up on her and took a swing for the fences uh, like it was Alex Rodriguez, and she just fell face first. That would have been a 12-to-1 underdog, in my opinion. Not a UFC-quality fighter like Chico Camus. Um, or Camus, I'm sorry, however you want to say it. I don't want to mispronounce his name, but I just said Camus. But, um, yeah. But anyway, Cejudo wins by unanimous decision. And um, he said he had been having trouble making weight, but everybody did make weight um, for this fight card. You know, and Cejudo does have a history of having a difficulty making weight, but it was good. But he, he said he didn't give the performance that he felt he should have. And uh, I think there were even mention of a bad taco, which is, you know, kind of interesting. But, uh, like I said, for the final televised prelim was set Henry Cejudo winning by unanimous decision. Then it went on to the best part of the televised prelim, the only part that I feel that Joe Rogan should be part of, other than the promo videos during the commercial breaks, um, is Joe Rogan with UFC president Dana White for the last five minutes of the show, hyping the crap out of the pay-per-view, getting you to buy the pay-per-view if you haven't already. Now, I'm on record as I don't like Joe Rogan for the cage side commentary. He's biased. He's pretentious. He's way too cocky. Um, you know, he has a history of questioning the judges' scoring and uh, the referee's decision when he is neither certified or qualified to be a judge or a referee. He hasn't even competed um, in uh, MMA ever. He, he does, you know, he has a black belt in both uh, gi and no gi um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but as far as I understand, he hasn't competed. So um, while he is free to have an opinion on something, I don't think he should be using his position as commentator to criticize the judges 
for the referees for doing their job. You know, they're there. They're the ones that put in the time. They're qualified. They're certified. They're trained. They're hired to do that job. Um, I just didn't think it was right for Rogan to ever use the post-fight in Octagon interview time to criticize judges just whenever he disagreed with something. doesn't mean that the judges were wrong or the, the ref was wrong. It's just that Joe disagreed with them, and, and that's, that's why I've had a problem with that. But having said all that, there is nobody better than Joe Rogan to hype the pay-per-view for those last five minutes leading into the pay-per-view portion of the event. I mean, there is nobody he gets Dana White pumped up. He gets me pumped up. I, you know, I, I cheer sometimes. I'm yelling, yeah, at the screen. Um, the guy could sell ice cubes to Eskimos, I said. Um, and, and I wrote a quick article about it last night, you know, saying, hey, that's where Rogan shines, but please, you'll see. Please consider putting Brian Stan at cage side for the commentary full time. Save Joe Rogan for those last five minutes. Save him for the, the weigh-ins, you know, pump it up. He can pump up the crowd like no other. He is the flavor Flav of the UFC. Um, save him for the promo videos that they use to advertise the upcoming events. Save him for that, you know, please. Just, I mean, have, there are times that I have put the event on mute. Just watch the fights without listening to him because it can be ridiculous. Uh, he likes hyperbole. He likes to exaggerate. But where he really, really lost me was when he used... He was talking about the same fighter. Or not the same fighter, sorry. He was talking about two different fighters. Had he been talking about the same fighter, I wouldn't have had a problem with this. But within the course of one conversation, he used the phrase, greatest fighter on the planet. And then he used another one, two minutes later or so, saying, best fighter in the world. Now, as I said, if he was talking about one fighter, that wouldn't have been a problem because those things mean the same thing. You're using slightly different words, but you're saying the same thing. Unfortunately, he was talking about John Jones on one and Anderson Silva on the other one within a same conversation. The other person hadn't even offered input yet. It was Joe Rogan doing his thing. So he lost me there. And... You know, I'm digressing. I'm spending way too much time on that. But, like I said, that's the part where Joe Rogan shines, and they should keep him for that and not have him do the cage-side commentary. Anyway, on to the main card portion of UFC 188. The pay-per-view began with a women's strawweight fight between um, undefeated Tisha Torres against um, relative newcomer Angela Hill. Um, you may have remembered Angela Overkill Hill from uh, when she was on uh, The Ultimate Fighter. She was the one that was the, uh, she was ranked last. They kind of threw her into the deep end as I was uh, talking with Steven on uh, Kid Side Submissions uh, earlier this week. You know, she didn't have it easy. They gave her a very tough Carla Esparza, the number one ranked girl for the, the show, and she had the least amount of experience going against someone with the most amount of experience and who had been the champion in Victor. Angela Hill lost that fight, but, you know, she's been learning. She's been progressing. And, I mean, even though that both of these fighters are their fan favorites in a way, they have their following, it, apparently people didn't like the fight. They said it was boring. Um, 
I had several of my friends uh, on social media that are females that do fight, uh, not for the UFC, other organizations. Uh, but they were like, you know, they were yelling, come on, you know, put me in there. I could have done better than that. Or I would have been more exciting. And, you know, it ended up Tisha Torres did remain undefeated. She won by unanimous decision. But um, it just wasn't the, the fight that uh, some people, I mean, the crowd seemed to like it. I mean, I didn't really hear too many boos, but uh, on social media, they were just going nuts on, they did not like it. Now, the next fight ended up being uh, one that I, I, I didn't pick it right. It was, I went eight and three on the night, which I feel was pretty good, but this was one of the fights that I did not get right. Um Yair Rodriguez defeats Charles Rosa by a split decision, and it's a fight that could have went either way. You know, I'm not taking anything away from Rodriguez. He, he you know, busted his ass, worked really hard, but I just, I, I had picked Rosa, and, you know, I'm not complaining. I'm not saying they got it wrong because, I like, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not a judge. You know, so if Rogan isn't right to criticize and say that the judges got it wrong, I'm not going to say that, they got it wrong now because, hey, I'm not a judge. I don't know. But I had felt that, you know, Rosa did an impressive job as well. But judges who were tasked to do the job of scoring the fight, uh, two of them scored it for Rodriguez, one scored it for Rosa, and Rodriguez wins by what decision. Now, here comes uh, another fight. It was uh, Kelvin Gasolum and Nate Marquardt. It was, it was one of the ones I felt was going to be an exciting fight. Um, you know, Gasolum was in, got bumped up to the middleweight division, and I'm going to get into this because of his comments afterward, uh, as it applies to. But uh, Gasolum pretty much, uh, he, he made easy work of Nate Marquardt. He wins by uh, TKO. They, they called it a retirement or corner stoppage. It was... Uh, Marquardt just did not answer the bell for the third round. He just could not continue, did not go on. Uh, TKO corner stoppage. Uh, Kelvin Gasolum wins in the second round. And then um, afterward, uh, through post-fight interviews, and afterward, not necessarily in the octagon, but afterward, Ariel Hwani, uh, I believe it was, uh, Gasolum says that he wants to go down to 170 again instead of staying at 185. And, you know, he said he wants to have that opportunity to prove that he can do it, and I don't think he should be allowed to do that. There was a reason that they bumped him up to the middleweight division. Um, I mean, he was impressive at middleweight. You know, why are you complaining about it? You did well. Don't keep trying to go back to something that you obviously had problems with before. Um, you know, they, the UFC suggested, I guess, I don't want to say that they told him. I don't know that that's exactly how it was, but it seems like they strongly suggested that he go to middleweight. And I, I say the best thing for Gasolum is for him to remain at middleweight. Um, I'm on record, and I've said this several times, I'm not a big fan of huge weight cuts. Um, I don't think it's healthy for the fighters. You know, that's one of the few areas where I agree with Joe Rogan. There are lingering long-term uh, health uh, effects that that you know fighters just don't know what they're doing them to themselves. Even if they have help from professionals, um, it can go wrong. And uh, there are people that have died. There are people that have gone to the hospital from dehydration or kidneys have shut down. And 
you know, but my main thing is, like I said, that is one of the areas where I feel wrestling coming over to MMA has done MMA a big disservice. You know, this theory of if you can cut the weight, then you should cut the weight and you should try to do it. You know, and and I always get responses from people who have wrestling as their background saying, well, everybody does it. Well, that doesn't make it right. You know, or, you know, everyone's doing it, doesn't matter. Or I, I can cut the weight. Why shouldn't I be allowed to cut the weight? Well, you can also eat crushed glass, but it's not going to be good for you health-wise, and, you know, neither is cutting a lot of a lot of weight. Um, I'm on the fence. I don't think they should be allowed to cut more than, say, 15 pounds from their walk-around weight. You know, some of the extreme cases I've heard of is where, like, Johnny Hendricks cuts down from – 205, 210, all the way down to 170. And and I believe that's an unfair advantage, almost as bad as taking PEDs. Um, you know, because the weigh-ins are 24 hours before the fight, sometimes a little more, and by the time you, you get into the octagon with your opponent, you are almost all the way back up to your walk-around weight, and they may not be. You may have a significant weight advantage over your opponent, and I don't think that's right. Um, you know, Brock Lesnar is a prime example of that. You know, he had to struggle to cut down to the 265-pound maximum for the UFC title weight, uh, title fight against Randy Couture. Couture came in about 220 pounds. Brock Lesnar barely makes 265. Around fight night, when they stepped in the cage, it was said that Brock Lesnar was approximately 300, 305 pounds. So he bumped back up almost 40 pounds from what he weighed in at. I don't know how possible that is or, you know, accurate that is, but that was what the stories were circulating, that Brock Lesnar was close to two, or, you know, 305 pounds on fight night. And that's just wrong. I mean, you know, he if that's true, he outweighed Randy by 80, 85 pounds. He, he wasn't fighting at 265 anymore, in my opinion. So, in, in my opinion, he violated the essence of the contract. The spirit of the contract he signed was to fight at 265, not weigh in at 265 and then fight at 305. And that's just, you know, one of the things that really bothers me. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a feature that wrestlers have brought over to MMA, and I don't like it. And I believe that, that promotions and matchmakers should not tolerate that, that they should get accurate walk around weight to these fighters and only schedule them for fights that are closer to their natural weight, one, to protect their health, you know, because you don't know what it's doing to your kidneys or your body. You're, you're draining your body of power and strength that you could have. You're, you're lowering your gas tank, but you could be hurting your kidneys, which could have long-term effects down the line. Uh, your immune system could be affected, you know, dehydration. There's, you know, people have died. It could affect your heart, you know. There's just so many things that could go wrong, you know, even when you're doing it properly under supervision. Uh, But, you know, a lot of these people aren't doing it with trained, certified supervision. And I just think it's wrong for Gaslam to even want to do it, but I don't think that the U.S. should allow him to do it. Um, Like I said, I posted an opinion article on that and already got some response, but people didn't like what I was saying, but that's what happened. Uh, It's my opinion. They're free to disagree. doesn't mean that I'm right. doesn't mean that they're wrong. It's just, I mean, I like Kelvin Gastelum as, as a middleweight. I don't, I don't think he should try to, to, you know, 
I don't, I don't want to necessarily call it an unfair advantage, even though I've labeled it as that. I think he's doing himself a disservice by trying to get down to welterweight. You know, I don't think he's going to be at that much of a, you know, disadvantage. He's going to be on equal footing terms with other middleweights. And I think he should stay there, and I think the UFC should encourage him to remain a middleweight. You know, like I said, he did an impressive performance against a former champion in strike force. Uh, Nate Markport is no joke. He, he fought for titles in the UFC. He had a belt in strike force. Uh, that's an impressive win last night, and, and Kelvin Gasolin should take encouragement from that and try to be the best fighter that he could be at 185 pounds. But enough on, on that fight, enough on the topic. I want to go on to the co-main and the main events. Um, I, I've been waiting for the co-main event for years. I mean, literally, these are, 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 as I've said, these are two fighters that are elite in the lightweight division worldwide, regardless of what promotion uh, they fought for at the time. Worldwide, these you know two fighters that were uh, competing in the co-main event, um, they're just elite. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, it was Eddie Alvarez against Gilbert Melendez. Sorry there, I just I had something go down the wrong pipe. I couldn't breathe, couldn't lost my train of thought. I apologize. But yeah, like I was saying, uh co-main event. Eddie Alvarez ended up uh getting a split decision win over Gilbert Melendez. Um some people online were saying that uh should have went Melendez's way, and that's the thing. I mean it's a split decision. Two out of three people went for Alvarez, one went for Melendez could have easily gone the other way. It was 29-28, so that means, you know, one round made the difference, you know. First round, Eddie Alvarez was getting hammered. You know, there were elbows, there were strikes. His eye was closed up. It was, I mean, it looked bad. It looked like Rocky Balboa bad, you know, where Eddie Alvarez should have been talking to his corner in between rounds saying, yo, cut me, Nick. It was bad. But the second round, he definitely came back and, I, I believe he took the second round. So it all comes down to, you know, basically, in my opinion, who you gave the third round to. And, um, you know, I mean, the only thing I could really say about this is this is a case where, you know, I mean, Melendez is, is, is a grappler. He's a great striker. He's, a, he's an excellent striker, as we saw when he fought um, Diego Sanchez. So, I mean, there's no d- disputing that Gilbert Melendez is a deadly striker, but he also has solid Gracie Jiu-Jitsu um, grappling skills, you know, and but Alvarez used his wrestling and the takedowns were the difference. And, you know, it's not a case of like wet blanket type takedowns where, you know, you just take them down and you lay on them and you don't get any ground and pound or you're not trying for a submission until the, the referee stands you up. There, I think the, the number of uh, takedowns that Alvarez had were the difference between that fight. Amazing fight, in my opinion. Uh, I I picked Alvarez to win by decision. That was one of the ones that I got perfect, according to my topology picks. Um, I, I kind of went against the brain because, I mean, it was one of those ones that, that I wasn't even sure. Even after I made it, I was like, are you, are you, are you really sure you want to pick this? But I stuck with it. And uh, 
and it was one of those ones that, that I would have been happy whoever won as long as there wasn't an obvious controversy or referee error. And I don't believe that there was. I, I believe that was a good fight. And if you run that fight back two more times, you might get two different uh, results. Melendez might win two. Alvarez might win uh, two out of the three. Who knows? You may get a different result each time. Uh, an excellent fight matchup, in my opinion, between um, Eddie Alvarez and Gilbert Melendez. And, and I think the UFC could rematch them somewhere down the line. Hopefully it would be for like a, a number one contender spot or if one of one of them has the belt, give it to the other one just to see, you know, hey, let's run it back because that was a good fight in my opinion. It's just people are so passionate about which fighter they picked and who they thought should win that they they didn't like it. If you're a Melendez uh, supporter, you thought it was a bad call. If you're an Alvarez supporter, you thought it was the right call. Um but I'm going to go on to the main event, and this is where I'm going to grandstand a little bit. I, I was, you know, a little bit last night. I, I was, I was uh, trying to hold it in, trying to hold it in because I made my pick last week. I weighed out my all the decisions. I was looking at all the factors because these are two of, as Joe Rogan said in the promos, this is a fight between the interim champ Fabricio Verdum and you know the current champ. Kane Velasquez, to determine who the baddest man on the planet is. Now, um, I think originally, as someone pointed out, maybe that Joe Rogan used that phrase to call Brock Lesnar, you know, when he was the UFC heavyweight champ. But when Kane Velasquez defeated him, it kind of went over to Kane. And um, even whenever Kane lost the, the belt to Junior Dos Santos for a little bit before regaining it, Kane was kind of always the de facto baddest man on the planet. But in Joe Rogan's uh, terms, and I, I, I can agree with him on this, the UFC heavyweight champion is the pinnacle of combat sports as far as mixed martial arts is. Um, the, the person who holds that belt has a legitimate claim on calling themselves the baddest man on the planet. And, um, you know, Kane Velasquez, no, no doubt, an amazing fighter, totally an elite fighter. He has the uncanny ability of how he he mixes excellent striking with his elite wrestling uh, pedigree. I mean, he was a successful wrestler in college. He carried that over uh, along with the help of uh, you know training partners like Daniel Cormier at when he was at AKA, and they just they groomed him into the perfect beast of sorts. However, I said you should not just automatically assume that he is going to just walk all over Fabricio Verdum. You know, he, he's not going to tear him apart like he did um, Brock Lesnar. You know, he, he's not going to just beat him up for five rounds like he did in the second and third fights with uh, Junior Dos Santos. I said Fabricio Verdum is a legitimate threat to Cain Velasquez's reign as the UFC heavyweight champion. People called me crazy. Huge amounts of people called me crazy. Um, I even got a response from, you know, a respectful response. I, I just want to say that. I don't want to make it sound like I'm slamming here, but I'm going to mention Eddie Truck Gordon by name. Uh, one, because I was like, wow, hey, that's cool. You know, the fanboy in me, because, I, you know, I'm a fan of Eddie Gordon's. Uh, he's been on the show 
two times. I consider him a friend of the show. Uh, he's on my friends list uh, on Facebook. And whenever he took time out to explain that he thought that Cain Velasquez would dominate the fight, I was like, wow, hey, I, I appreciate your input. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm not, not trying to disrespect Eddie at all because I do value his input and I do respect him as a fighter, as a person. And but I was like, wow. But, you know, Eddie was one of the people who actually took the time to say, hey, they thought Kane was going to win. Some people went beyond that. They were saying I was crazy, I was insane. No way was uh, Verdun going to win it all. Um, I had somebody that was uh, flooding me with uh, memes uh, <laughs> of either Kane holding up the belt or Verdun with a funny-looking face on, you know. And I'm not a fan of his doom's crazy face or whatever, hey, but I just had that feeling, just like I did whenever I was, I explained to uh, Eddie Gordon, uh, just like I I felt leading up to uh, Chris Weidman and Anderson Silva the first time, I had a feeling that the challenger would win over the heavy favorite of the, the reigning champion, and I just I had that feeling again, and, and I didn't want to get into it too much leading up to it, I didn't want to give out my secrets. But I was, I, it was just basically me. Um, there was Sam Sheelander, another uh, a fighter uh, from out on the West Coast that, that's on my friends list. He kind of, he had it, he, he picked Verdun by submission. But, I, I mean, really, other than uh, me and Sam and Verdun's camp, we were alone. Everybody was picking Kane by landslide, like the people at MMA Junkies. The whole staff, I, I remember I, I posted and commented about that, their articles. Everybody picked Kane. The whole staff submitted for that article on MMA Junkie picked Kane Velasquez to win. And they were wrong. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was like, I, I kind of got a little funny with it last night, and I posted the uh, the video from GoDaddy.com where uh, you have the, the, the woman who uh, tells everybody to stick it. <laughs> you know, hey, uh, you know, can you pass along a message to your mommy? Stick it. You know, because they told her that she couldn't get a, a domain through GoDaddy for a reasonable price or what you know, whatever the that's the basic deal. Go to GoDaddy.com, get a good deal. Speaking of which, hey GoDaddy, why don't you become a sponsor of the show? I'm giving you some uh, spotlight here. But, but anyway, that was the point. And I posted. I said, this is how I'm feeling right now, and put a little you know smiley face emoticon because I want to tell those people stick it. <laughs> You know, I mean, I stuck by my pick. I had, I, I got the round right, and I got the wit, the person right. I called Fabricio Verdum by TKO or KO in the third round. He won by uh, guillotine. Um, but he had been hammering Kane Velasquez the whole fight. And I'm going to break it down for you why I think this happened. Like I said, taking nothing away from Kane Velasquez, um, he is an amazing competitor. He is probably, you know, Redoom right now is, is the baddest man on the planet, but Cain Velasquez has a, a, a second, you know, he's got that number two spot locked up for sure. There's, I mean, he had been number one for a long time, and other than him being hurt on and off over the past few years, um, he has been the man. He has been the face of the heavyweight division. He is the reason that Cormier decided that he wasn't going to try to challenge his teammate. He wanted to go down the light heavyweight. Uh, so taking nothing away from Cain Velasquez, please don't see this as me, you know, bashing on him or, or trying to take anything away from him because 
He is an amazing fighter. He is legit. He is elite. But I said, I leading up to this and, you know, the hours leading up to the fight, I, was, I started to explain myself. Verdum, I felt that was his night. He has more experience. Um, he's fought a more diverse group of fighters over the past five years where basically Kane had just fought Junior Dos Santos um, and Brock Lesnar and Bigfoot Silva. You know, nothing wrong. Those are three badass fighters too, but Kane had been hurt for two years. Uh, they had to postpone this matchup between Verdum and Velasquez that should have went down eight months ago in Mexico City for UFC 180. And I didn't know if Kane was going to come into this fight 100% health. Um, AKA has a history of going too hard in their training. Uh, fighters get hurt. Khabib Nurmagomedov is injured, and his, uh, his dad is speaking out about AKA and their training practices and how they go too hard. And, you know, there's a difference between training hard to prepare yourself and then going too hard in a reckless manner that is counterproductive. Because if you don't make it to the fight, you don't get paid. I mean, that's what it is. You're a professional fighter, and if you don't fight, you don't make it to fight night, you don't get paid. So I thought that have, might have something to do with it. But really, I'm going to break down the secret for you. This is the reason that I chose Kane, and I wish I would have had $100 to bet on it because I could have made some money on it. The reason is is because Mexico City is at 7,900 feet above sea level. Kane Velasquez has an amazing gas tank, um, but he trains at San Jose, which is at sea level. <laughs> and uh, sea level is not the same as 7,900 feet. Sea level, I mean, uh, training at Albuquerque or Denver, uh, which is about a mile high, is not the same as training at 7,900 feet. And Kane Velasquez showed up the week before the fight, basically, one week before to prepare. Fabricio Verdum showed up about eight weeks early. He got enough time to acclimate to the altitude. And that's what it was. Kane still had a gas tank. He just couldn't properly breathe. And he was getting hit with some strikes that he was getting picked apart. And then basically, as, as people were saying online, you know, he walked into that eating choke. He was just done, though. He was done. Um, and it's not even like whenever uh, Velasquez lost to Dos Santos, that was kind of a fluke. He got clipped, he got wavered, he lost, it got stopped. Now, this one was, Kane, Kane just wasn't, it wasn't his night. And if they fought again at sea level in, or in Vegas or whatever, Kane may have been the one that won. Kane may be the winner three out of four times. Four out of five times, nine out of ten times, who knows? But I just had that feeling that it was going to be Fabrizio Verdum, and it was. So I just wanted to say to people like MMA Junkie or all the people who said I was crazy, you know, you shouldn't have been thinking that Verdum had zero chance. AKA trainer um, Javier Mendez is the big one. He, right before the fight, he said Kane was going to win every second of every round for as long as the fight lasted. And after about 15, 30 seconds into the first round, that just wasn't true. It just wasn't true. And uh, Javier uh, Mendez probably did his fighter a huge disservice by going in there with that attitude. He was saying that Fabrizio had zero chance. 
Kane toned down the, uh, the hype a little bit, and he said he takes every challenge seriously. So I got to give him respect for that. But um, just wasn't the way it was. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up real quick. It's uh, fight night. Uh, fight of the night was Yair Rodriguez and Charles Rosa. Performance bonuses went to Fabricio Verdum and Patrick Williams. All those fighters got 50000 for that. But again, UFC 188 was amazing. Um, you know, it was incredible. Could have been better. Wasn't as probably wasn't as exciting as the ten finishes out of twelve for last week's uh, UFC Fight Night sixty eight that went down in New Orleans. But still, exciting. Well worth the, the price for the pay per view. Uh, while I have some time here before I get cut off, uh, I want to talk about Fight Valley that uh, Stephen and I were talking about on uh, Friday with uh, Director Rob Hawk on episode twenty eight of the Damage Report. Please go to fightvalley.com. Um, and support this. There's a, an opportunity section of that website where you can get involved as part of the street team. They're still looking for extras. They're looking for production crews, production assistants. However, involved that they're still looking for advertisers, sponsors, investors. Please.